0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, and welcome to the pod where we chat, argue, and wax poetic about the movies that we love, hate, or that are simply worth talking about. All movies have something to say and we enjoy trying to analyze what they capture. Welcome to the chatter after. I am Brandon Alvarado, The Scarlet Fan here, and I'm so excited to be back here to talk another awesome movie. And not just any movie, a very particular movie from a year of just straight out bangers and that movie is 1994's the shawshank redemption i'm so excited to talk about this film we have the complete chatter after crew we have the one and only isaac what's up man
1: i'm tired (laughs) i mean
0: when you spend that long in a cell in the in the sun you you can get tired right
1: Mm -hmm. wow that
0: was that was the, the worst
2: response um <laughs> my, i got mike thomas what is up man hey man i'm joining isaac in the void um <laughs> we're just kind of disembodied right now but it's going well this is a great movie can't wait to get into it and
0: the one and only ryan cam welcome to the show man
3: thank you guys thank you for having me it's great to uh, be on the show uh, i jump at any opportunity to talk about Shawshank. It's one of my all-time favorites. So, uh, When I approached Mike to do this, he gave me the list, and I was was like, gotta be on for Shawshank. Nothing else will do. Nothing will suffice.
0: I like this man's spirit (laughs) and passion. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Really happy you're with us, Ryan. Um, As you guys heard, we're going to be covering... 1994's the shawshank redemption um directed by frank darabont produced by castle rock entertainment um, and in a base on the short novella by the great stephen king um, called rita hayward and the shawshank redemption um, we have a lot to talk about this movie but as every episode of the shatter after we want to start with a round table going around first experiences with the film New experience, rewatching it, and Ryan, you're the guest. You've told us you love this film. Tell us, first experience. What is Shawshank to you?
3: Well, I first saw this movie, and it, I, I was born in 1997, so I was so I was definitely not in the generation where I saw it in the theaters. But when I started my channel. Uh, I did a month in 2018 called Stephen King Month, where I reviewed some Stephen King based movies from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. And I tried to choose ones that I had never seen before, and Shawshank was among them. Nice. Nice. And so I remember just, it was like, yeah, because I try and watch movies in advance whenever I'm reviewing them, like older movies so it was about a week before i was to shoot my video for the stephen king month i was just watching it i was literally in this room and i was watching it on my tv and i was just like it was just it was like an experience i was just blown away by everything that was going on and it was, it was, I think it was about like 30 minutes in, 30 to 45 minutes in, where I was just sitting there like, I think this might be my new favorite movie of all time. And it's actually <laughs> Jurassic Park, but this is definitely, definitely 1994
0: a movie. as well, right?
3: A park was 93, but 1994 okay, is a pretty loaded year for movies. I mean, Forrest yeah. Gump, Pulp Fiction, The Mask, which I just reviewed for the first time. Uh, and I could go on, but '94 is a loaded, loaded year, and and so yeah, I definitely watched this movie for the first time later later in its run, but never for lack of a better term, you never forget your first time.
0: Very nice, awesome, very, very nice,
2: Mike, my man, yes sir. me
0: about Shawshank,
2: yeah, Shawshank. I'm right there with Ryan. Some of my favorite movies are Shawshank Redemption and, of course, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, I agree, is probably my favorite movie of all time. It's amazing. But in Shawshank, my first experience with this movie was probably like seven years ago. Um, This is when I really got into film, film criticism, like trying to understand this medium, right? And a movie that keeps popping up whenever you go to greatest movies of all time is the shawshank redemption so i'm like okay i gotta cross that off the list so I, it might have been streaming somewhere or it might have just been like available on demand at the time but i booted it up watched it and it is just a powerful powerful story uh i love everything about it it's amazing can't wait to talk more in depth as we go on in the show has anything changed between your first viewing and your rewatch for me, no, honestly, because this is a movie that I can't watch on a regular basis. I feel like most people will probably be in that camp. I, I'm not going to turn on Shawshank every other day. So it's, watched it seven years ago, probably watched it three years ago, and then watched it recently for, for this episode. So each time I re- revisit it, even though I know what's happening, I still have like that same experience where you're just sitting there like, this is a masterpiece. Honestly, like it's, it's peak Stephen King for me. It's probably the best thing he's ever done.
3: It's kind of the same thing with me and Lord of the Rings. I can't watch the Lord of the Rings movies every day of the week. It's a, it's a legit special occasion. I block out time. I get rid of all other things that I need to do in a given day. When I start Lord of the Rings, I'm like, I'm locked in. Like nothing can take me out of it. And nothing really good, if I'm being honest.
2: Yes. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) Isaac, Chang.
0: thoughts?
1: Well, I can't remember whenever I have seen it before, or if I've seen it before, because, well, there's so much going on right now that I can't uh, remember half of it, if I'm being completely honest, but know that watching it last night, Uh, Or two days ago, depending on how you would. considering it's 2.15 a.m. here
3: right
1: now. I guess, well, unlike our uh, pilot episode, this is a movie that I can uh, certainly see why it's seen as one of the best movies of all time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What was the budget Uh, on this movie?
3: uh, I'll look it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> please do, please do.
3: According to Wikipedia, it was $25 million.
0: That's actually very conservative. I mean, yeah. probably a lot for 94, but still conservative.
3: like peanuts that, but, uh, by today's standards. I pay that much when I
2: just go to the gas station now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, true, true.
1: Also, Ryan, the, the whole budget thing is uh, inside, or should I say... Uh, I don't know if I would say Inside Yo, considering that it was during a recording, but it's an <laughs> ongoing yoke, let's just put it like that. Oh,
2: man. Brandon, your thoughts on Shawshank?
0: So, it's very interesting, because I was born in 88, and Shawshank, I, I didn't see it in theaters, um, but it's funny because I discovered it in my teen years. Um, in the early 2000s. And the cool and the interesting thing about Shawshank is Shawshank was one of those films at my at my home where if it's playing on the TV because it's one of those movies that went straight to television very quickly and it was like a movie that you would see every week or at least once every two weeks being played. You know what I mean? It was part of that one of those films that was in regular TV rotation and TNT, TBS, and stuff like that, right? And if it was playing like my folks would sit down and watch it at least my dad would sit down and watch it similar to how he was with the godfather not mm-hmm. as much but with the godfather was another one that it could be 11 o'clock at night and they're playing that music and he's just gonna sit there for three hours and not go to sleep and watch the godfather again you know it's that kind of relationship with the film and i remember shaw shank was very with a lot with a lot of vivid detail because of that it's like part of my childhood uh, experiencing the film um as I rewatched it now, um, with, with the idea of reviewing in mind, it is, it is a movie that just captivates you because of the storytelling, because of the characters, the acting, but also there's, there's this, which I think is very particular of Stephen King's um, touch or distinguishing um, talent. There's this little bit of fancy that's mixed into all the reality that he writes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, he, it, this is not a fantasy story, but you notice that it's more fiction than realism. Like yeah, it is supposed to feel like a work of fiction, even though it takes place in the most grounded setting you you would ever uh, watch or or find yourself in. Um, it's, and it's all and it all has to do with the way it's written and the way it's portrayed by the actors and um and I think Frank Darabont, um, going into my review, uh, I, I I was able to see all the decisions that he made, all the take, the reason he made certain takes, as having had read a good chunk of the of the novella recently. Um, as I was preparing for the pod, I could see a lot of decisions that Frank Darabont made because he didn't only direct the film. He also um, wrote the screenplay for it. And based on Frank Darabont's Wikipedia, he loves Stephen King because he's done like four to five adaptations. One of the most famous ones, which is the Green Mile, was also written, written, directed, and produced by him. Which, is, which again, Green Mile is another knock in the park. Uh, knock out of the park. Yeah. But um I don't know. It's such a smart film, such a captivating film. There's so much sensibility in what it's trying to say that I think it's one of the most human stories you'll ever because it talks about very human problems and, 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 and comparisons and dichotomies and it's it's a thinking man's film. But it's a thinking man's film that's designed that for a layman's. You know what I mean? It's, designed, it's a it's thinking man's film that was designed for the common man. Anybody can pick this up, and it's not complicated text, but it's talking some of the most profound stuff that you would ever, you know. Yeah. You know, um, and and there's there's a lot to to, to take off here, and um, as we go into the re- as we go into the review and we break things down. We always do it differently with every single film that we try, um, but the first thing I want to ask is: um, There's have have you guys read the novella, the Rita Hayward and the Shawshank Redemption?
3: I personally have not. I've always wanted to, but I just those ones that I've just never really gotten around to i looked up kind of cliff notes versions of them mm-hmm. i know that darabont when creating the warden in in the in the novella there were several wardens but instead right. he just crammed them all into yep into warden norton which i thought was a very wise decision yes i know that brooks was only just like a character that ended up passing away in a retirement home and well that's not what happened to him in this movie by i think from an emotional standpoint it's like one of those decisions where i kind of like i kind of hate it because it makes me so emotional but at the same time i'm glad that he did that because it made me feel that way so it's a it's a paradox
0: right how about you mike have you read this
2: uh, I have not, and Isaac had to step away, so I'm just going to assume maybe he has not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll get back to him when he comes back. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the reason I want to start with this point, because I think it's the simplest of points, is that just like Ryan was sharing with us, uh, it's true. Uh, there's multiple wardens. Um, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of smart, this is like, one of the perfect blends between the idea of adaptation and fidelity. Yeah. Because I think throughout time, most of the great films are adaptations of something, right? Um, Isaac's favorite movie from our pilot episode, <laughs> um, <laughs> is it, is a loose adaptation or, or interpretation of a text Which of course, we're talking about Mario Puzo's The Godfather. Um, but the interesting thing about the Shawshank Redemption is that Frank Darabont made so many interesting choices, but the brilliance of him as a director is that and as a screenwriter is that the decisions that he made were to streamline the story, but also expand and create moments with different characters to explore the same subjects. Because the whole thing about life on the outside after being released from prison where you've lived all your life, which is, which is kind of like the whole thing about the whole argument that Red makes about that's what they do in prison. They take the years. They take your life away, at least what the parts that matter. They take the years that matter, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that is in the books, and he's expanded that with Brooks and stuff like that. But there's so many interesting decisions in the text that he makes where you personally, not only did he change things to streamline the, he knew when to, he knew where to expand and explore, but he also knew what not to touch. And the most interesting thing about it is a lot of the dialogue in the film is almost to the T in the book. Like like a lot of the of Red's monologues, a lot of his inner thoughts about Andy Dufresne, a lot of the a lot of the dialogue between the guards when the events are happening, because in the book, just like in the film, everything is a first hand account from Red, right? Um, but because of that, he conserves that in the film, and the way the film goes from scene to scene, a lot of it's identical to the book. So I love how darabont was able because you know as a screenwriter right you you kind of you got to think about you got to write down what you think is the best interpretation of the film or how it's going to work but there's certain things that are just so good that as a writer you have to make the decision i can't touch this so how do i translate it the best possible so he found the, the right balance between translation and and adaptation and it, it, I would even say it's probably why this film is so good. Because a lot of it stems as... He was more of a painter than necessarily a director. Does that make sense? Like, mm. like he, he just had to recreate what was already there. Like, he understood it. He trusted it. How many adaptations have we seen that we look at the book... We look at the film and it looks nothing like what the book is, Right? or what makes the book captivating right
3: I was actually going to bring up the example of jaws uh, jaws is a movie i mean i love to death but i actually read the book the the peter benchley book there's stuff in there that i am so glad spielberg cut out of there <laughs> there's a there's a plot line where uh, where hooper and elaine brody have a thing not just stay uh, they have a romantic fling and basically elaine cheats on her husband that was thankfully cut out of the movie. And actually, in the book, Hooper dies. Like, Jaws eats him in the shark cage. So it's... Wow. So, th- so when you were bringing up, uh, Brandon, about what not what Darabont did, not touching certain things and then leaving it alone, and then knowing what to cut and where, that's what my mind immediately flashed to.
0: Um, and, and what I find captivating about when it comes to that adaptation is that some of the most memorable lines um, of the film come straight from the book. And, it's, and I, and I kind of like how it's kind of Frank Darabont's way of tipping the hat to Stephen on like, hey, man, what you did here was so good that I just want you to know I left it as it is. The whole, like, the actual final monologue. I hope I'm able to see my friend and shake his hand. It's book by book, the last words in the book. Like, word by word. It's, like, little things like that, which makes makes it so captivating. Um, Now, um, do you guys have a favorite scene, a favorite moment, or a favorite character? Um, Isaac. Do you have a favorite thing of Shawshank?
1: A conversation about Hope. My favorite character is Red.
0: Nice. That is that is a powerful scene. Especially after what happened. Right before.
2: Yeah, um, for sure. So great. Mike, do you have one? That's a really tough question. Uh, because again, like we've spent the last 20 minutes barely scratching the surface of this movie but still appreciating like the, the wonder and powerful storytelling that's happening in, in this film so if I had to pick one um, it probably has to be the ending it it sticks with me to this day um, and I'm with Isaac Red is a great character Andy's also you know a terrific lead like Tim and Morgan fantastic fantastic job in this it movie it is crazy
1: yeah i mean total. morgan freeman is always 200 percent amazing set.
0: <laughs> what i love a lot about these characters um i'm sorry mike were you done i don't want to jump. Go.
2: <laughs> i'm good man you know I, i'm running um, backgrounds here anyway so come to be <laughs> <me> less <last. laughs> um one of the things that
0: i love about the characters in this film especially our two leads right um Because, of course, a case could be made that the lead character is actually red. Because Andy's always seen from red eyes, right? Um, I love how they are the most intense and collected characters you can see on a screen. And you rarely see characters like that. You know, kind of like Don Corleone. Kind of like Michael in the godfather and then keep bringing that movie back to movie. Uh, but like characters i see a lot with their eyes with their with their voices with the way they talk in terms of degrees and like this i'm not an actor but i can see this like a master class in acting because there's so many deliberate decisions that they made for every single scene that um, not only that, the idea that they have to find... They, they were able to find a way to capture how these characters have aged. Because you got to think about it. We're, we're, we're with these characters for a period of almost 25 years. Yeah. Because I know that... Because Andy was, what, 19 years? um And when the movie oh, starts... The, um,
3: the movie starts in 47, and it ends in the mid-60s. So... Twenty five years? I think that's a conservative estimate.
0: Right. And and, and, and when Andy arrives, Red's already been there, what, like, ten or twenty almost? Right. He's already when been there for a very long time.
3: You first see he Red, he's getting his parole hearing ten years into a life sentence, so it's right. ten.
0: Right. And then he get we see the twenty and we see the thirty then. Um and the idea that you how they age Throughout that and, and the conversations that they have, how the conversations age with them. Um, also, I, I kind of like... To, I haven't talked about my favorite scene. I, I don't think I have one. It's one of those things... Cop out! I pick any scene. <laughs> well, was I? I, I'm sorry. But I'm going to mention a good scene, damn it! <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I'm going to cop out, but I'm going to mention this. Oh, man. I love... I love the different ways that Darabont showed he didn't tell but showed the monotony and routine of the prison there's so many deliberate shots and 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 kind of filler scenes that are all to kind of produce that sense of monotony for us to know where we're at and and i find that as just a very clever storytelling tool and and I, and the re- and the scene that makes me look into this is that every time we go to a parole hearing, what is what is what do we see? It's a completely black screen, and the little screen on the door where you can see through the door. You get that scene there, and then the door opens, and it happens the same way all three times with different people on the board, of course um and every time. Red goes in. He, the first time he has, he says, he's a changed man. Ten years go by. Same thing, but with no intensity at all. Because he just lost his friend Brooks. So you got to think, he doesn't want to go out right now. Because he's seeing like, the end of his life leaving. And then by the time that we get to the, th- the 30th year, and he's there again, he's just done with the bullshit. You know? So, so I I like I like that I like all the scenes where we see all the all the prisoners roll in. We got like four of those where they all just like we could have. We know we're in a prison. We need to. We don't need to see that again. But it was a choice. Mm -hmm. The ways it was introduced to I Like I know there's there's just a lot of different little things like that. Um, I do like the rooftop. That is one of my favorite scenes. And, and having read the book made it feel so much impactful because I read it and then I saw it and it was identical. Ever, anybody seen my Guns video I. Identical. Um, it was <laughs> great movie. It was great. Yes. Um, and, but that moment in the roof, um, which brings me to, well, actually, before I say that, that I, w- I could say that's my favorite scene. But I want to go back to that scene in a minute. But Ryan, I haven't asked you. Favorite scene or moment or character?
3: Uh, yeah, that's that's a toughie because I have a lot of favorite scenes. But um, you can
0: cop out. I did I'm the host. So if I cop out, you can. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Unfortunately. <laughs> well, um, we'll, say my, um, we'll say my favorite scene and then it bleeds into it. Is when, uh, is when Andy escapes and we first see where where Warden Norton is, is like, well, hallelujah, he just disappeared. And he, like, takes the rock and throws it through the Raquel Welch poster and we're just like, what? Yep. And he tears away the poster and that brilliant shot of the camera panning out yep. through the hole as...
0: The reverse as, Jaws. Uh, exactly. Like reverse, as, yeah.
3: Norton, uh, the warden, and Red all look through the hole, and then it just goes into the montage of how, for the past 25 ish years, every night, Andy has just been. away at that hole, despite literally everything we've seen so far. <sighs> everything that he's taken out, he has dumped in the yard. And it just. it's. it's an unraveling of, here's how he. How he made this all work, and it's just building and building and building to where he goes into that horrible pipe and with all the the literal crap he has to swim through, till he finally gets to the other side in the iconic shot. Definitely a safe choice for a favorite scene, but every time I'm just no, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm like, come on, Andy, swim, swim, man, swim. <laughs> I'm just sitting there just, like, rooting him on like, like, I just, like, I'm watching it for the first time. And then, of course, everything that happens afterward is just complete catharsis. Everything that happens with Norton and Nancy Brown and just everything that happens, it just... faction. It really is. I agree. (laughs) Terrific moment.
0: Yeah. And also the iconic scene. Hands up in the air. Rain. The, the the idea of of being able to, to just be free,
1: right?
3: And it and it was a perfect uh, it, and it was perfect because before after Annie had just gotten out of the hole, that iconic wall scene where he's just you just look at him and he's just like, yeah, I think he's just like the movie does a great bait and switch where you think, oh well, he's either going to just Designed himself to his fate, or he's just going to do something quite drastic. He says the get busy living, get busy dying line. And Red's like, now, don't you do anything too drastic now. And then, and Andy tells him about the brick wall, and you're like, uh, what does that have to do with anything? And then through the montage, it just all makes perfect sense. It's, it's like a puzzle piece where you get everything... The pieces were on the table, but they weren't arranged properly. And that whole montage just assembled all the pieces in perfect order. And you're just like... It's it's a miracle.
0: You took the word out of Samuel Norton's
3: mouth. It's a
0: miracle. Talk about what a perfect example of how to set up a third act right mm-hmm. like the meticulous plotting and planting of the seed of so many elements that play out at towards the end right it's one of those perfect films where when you get to that point everything was just so well played out and thought out and displayed that you're not questioning how it's possible so you can really just enjoy it You know what I mean? Like, there's certain films where when you get to a point like that, they make a decision and you're like, "Uh, this came out of nowhere. And then you just lose all kind of excitement that you could have had. You know, Mm. Um, bad superhero movies do that all the time. Um, But like this one, everything, every piece was there. There's nothing. There is, of course, a huge suspension of disbelief. Right. But but every piece is there. And and you can go back to it and see it, and it was it was very firmly and securely planted, and th- that's the kind of meticulous storytelling that, that Stephen King and Darabont have translated. And it's just so good, so great, so great, so great. Um, so now one of the biggest themes that that the movie has is. The, the, the theme of freedom, and, and and what that looks like, um, and how can and and whether or not can a man be free if he's in a in a cage, right? The, the abstract idea of freedom and the actual physical sense of freedom. Uh, do you do you feel that? How do you guys do? You guys have a particular personally. I love the idea. Of Andy Dufresne kind of embodying that concept as a character, and I like how Stephen King and Derriman use that character to explore that, because you got to think about you got to think about the idea that Red Red's character development through the film, right, is kind of do it hinges on his interaction with the embodiment of freedom, which is Dufresne. Because Red has been institutionalized or throughout the years. Or he sees everything come and go and play out a certain way. So he thinks that his life is all there is. And Andy's like that door to the outside. To that idea of hope and freedom. And, and going back to that scene. Um, and I lo- And the reason I love the rooftop scene is because it's one of those many moments that you see throughout film. Where you can see the idea of having freedom as a sense of you feeling free because you know who you are and what makes you happy and all you know, that stuff. I don't know, it's super abstract, but like I love how you explored those that that kind of concept, but with very little words. Like something as simple as drinking a beer in the sun while working, and and um. Being able to listen to music, um, being able to learn, being able to grow. Um, do you guys? Do you guys think that it's easy to see? It's is it am I being too complex or complicated for no reason, or do you see this as something very clear that they're looking for as as they explore Andrew Frank's character because he's kind of like a mythic figure yeah he's kind of like it kind of feels like he's not a real person but he is um what do you think about what do you guys think about that
2: um i guess i can jump in first uh right quick i'm with you because like you said earlier uh red's character is like the main character we're seeing it from his point of view so in a way he is like this mythic being like he's watching him kind of from afar even though they do they do know each other very well but like he's just watching this entire epic this legend essentially be told right before his very eyes so yeah it's it's very biblical right like you look at the new testament you look at the uh the gospel it's the story of jesus and he's talking like the the words are in red but it's still being told from the point of view of the people who are around him and so, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. I don't think you're off base at all there.
0: And and also, and I love how um, I love how it drives him questioning who he is, and questioning his principles, but also his outview on life, and how it, it shows him that there's another way of trying things, of doing things. And how that impacts his life towards the end, because you get because to think, to even think or consider that Red's end could have been the same as Brooks if he hadn't known Andy. Yep, Be, because there's no because in their in their minds there's no other choice. Which the the whole storyline with Brooks' character, um, what I love about that not th- not what happens but the story that's told through Brooks, right is that it all goes down to the fact that men are defined by their choices and by the paths led in front of them, right? And I love how, through the idea of freedom and choice, um, the writers are able to explore. Of course, I'm meeting about Darabon and Stephen. They're able to explore the idea of how men are defined by choices and the ideas of good and evil. Because one of the things that I love about Stephen King is that when he explores good and evil, he's very, like, black and white, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't explore good and evil as in-between, but he explores good and evil as a greater good and a greater evil, right? And, and I love how the film finds way. Uh, this particular story finds ways to explore the ideas of choices and, and how what you the choice that you make is what makes you a good or bad man. Especially when you find out that a lot of the people that are in the jail that we are following, at least, are actually good men that are trying to be better, and the people that are running the jail are people that are choosing to, and to do the worst things. In that
3: hey, uh, the prisoners have this inside joke amongst themselves. It, it, it's an early scene where Andy is where where asks Andy uh, what he's in there for. And he's like, I'm innocent. And Red's yeah. like, sure. We're all innocent here. And, 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 he, and he looks at... I, I can't remember his name right now at the top of my head. He Heywood. said... Uh, Heywood. But thank you. He Heywood's, like, hey, Heywood, what are you in here for? And he's like, I'm innocent. The lawyer did me in. Or something like that. <laughs> so they, there's a great deal of acceptance of their situation and just trying to trying to make the best of it and and it's it's ironic you were talking about freedom and all that it's it's ironic we uh we talking about a movie about a literal prison where you are locked up for 23 hours a day it's that that we're talking about freedom now it's a it's an inversion of what it's supposed to be
0: right right i love how you mentioned that that what a what a what a setting to explore such a concept, right? And and I you could I, you could even say that the reason this move this this story takes place in a prison is because what better way to explore the idea of freedom as a metaphor by dealing with people that are actually there, and 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 like you said, there's an idea of acceptance where everybody at least of that main crew that read and andy interact with right um these are all people that understand why they're there understand what they're guilty of and understand that they're there and they deserve to be there um whatever whatever that looks like or means right um and the fact that all of them in some way shape or form made the choice to be the best that they can to be what they think is good as opposed to just use it as an excuse to continue to do wrong because then you have like people like the sisters where they're just the epitome of you know like evil or or people that are just twisted that keep making the decision to make people's lives miserable right you never see anyone of the main crew doing that because they have a sense of good and evil to a degree of what's right and wrong i don't want not to keep saying good and evil but they made the choice to just You know, live under sentence. And they accepted their fate. Which is, I think, is why Red's character is so interesting. Because out of everybody, he's the only one that says, same as you, murder. He's the only one that actually talks about what he did. And um, what I found very surprising as I was reading the book, which is another interesting decision, is that they never say why Red's there. They say that it's a murder, but they never say what he did. Which I'm not, I, I, I want to share just for the sake of complimenting Darabont. But he literally committed insurance fraud and killed his wife. Like, it, it was like really dark. But how, how not saying how he did it would have influenced Ritz's character and us connecting with him. Because if we know the act, it sounds super heinous. Mm-hmm. and I think it makes it a lot harder for us to connect them that way As both to just know that it's the man that has said that he took someone's life and yeah. just simplified it
3: it's kind of the same thing how we never see what Andy does I mean of course Andy's innocent so right. we we know that but in the opening scene where he's in the car he's clearly drunk he's got the gun and it's interspliced with the courtroom stuff Right, and so it, it's like um and we later learn through Tommy and that whole thing that he's very clearly innocent and Andy didn't do it. But, like, the first thirds of the movie, there's a seated doubt of maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. And so, like you said, there's an ambiguity that really, it helps in the complexity side of things.
0: I'm actually glad that you said that. Because that actually helps play into the whole idea of Red as the narrator because we're knowing more of Andy as Red knows more of Andy. So we are not confirmed of Andy's innocence until Rhett is confirmed of Andy's innocence. Which to me is such a great storytelling tool. Because it's funny how the movie, I'm glad that you brought that up, Ryan. The movie starts with Andy it does not start with Red it starts with Andy and everything going on with him so it's kind of like a a misdirection because we're thinking okay Andy's the main character but then suddenly as the bus is driving to Shawshank you go into that parole board meeting and from there Red takes the baton and takes a story So I so I like that misdirection that they do and how it plays out just like you said, like like how we discover all the different parts of the story that will impact our our understanding of who Andy is. Um
2: Yeah, I think that's just what makes the movie so strong though, right? It's because we we picked up on the detail that that Rhett is the real, like, main character of the story, but you can look at it and completely understand the shift in perspective. Like, it does have that setup at the beginning of the movie. And then next thing you know, you see it kind of flip as the movie goes on. And I just think that's a really subtle touch. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's not the biggest it's not the biggest deal, but I just think it's kind of cool how you can notice that. And then, like you said, Brandon, you pick up on, yeah, we don't really learn information until Red learns information, which is just kind of neat. Right
3: i argue that. Good. I'm sorry, I didn't. No, no, go
0: it.
3: ahead, go ahead. I'd argue that Red is the most interesting character of the movie. I mean, I yeah. think he's the most well-rounded. I mean, he, I mean, what's uh, what's not to be fascinated over? I mean, he's got like an <laughs> got like a Jesse Pinkman, Breaking Bad esque network of smuggling <laughs> things into this <laughs> secure prison, and I, it's I'm not even like. <laughs> Not even like little, it's little things like cigarettes and gum and all these things, but this it's getting sent in like hammers and like other different things and posters. And I just, I remember on this rewatch, I was sitting there like, who is this man's contact? <laughs> like, do they, like, is there a rotation? Like, is just from a friend? Like, do they live nearby? And so I'm, I'm not trying to poke holes. It's just, it just stuff
2: well it, it's just one of those things where that's a great point this could have been a completely different movie right this could have been a completely different movie if you just changed its perspective and we're now trying to figure out who red is and i think that's what makes both of these characters so great is that they're both good enough to lead their own films but instead we get to kind of see them mashed together here when we talked about that on a, on a few different podcasts before of like how you have multiple characters who can lead their own stories i feel like that applies here as well
3: it really does speak to the talent of tim robbins to be able to pull off andy and of course morgan freeman to do red i mean morgan freeman's one of the greatest of all time yeah this movie could have been so different in my research i found that the original two considered for this role was supposed to be uh at one time uh, clint eastwood was supposed to be andy and Robert Duvall was supposed to be read, or perhaps the other way around. And with all due respect to those two, I mean, they wouldn't have been able to pull it off like uh, Friedman yeah. and and Tim Robbins were able to hear for a lot of reasons.
0: There's something about um, each of their demeanors towards the world that literally makes the characters in the book come alive. Mm-hmm. Like... I am going to say I'm guilty of having some of the movie's influence as I read the book. But also the similarities and the fidelity to that material is so high that I I couldn't help but make those connections. You know how – and that's kind of the connections you want to have, right? Like if you're reading an original source material and you know that you're watching adaptation and reading it or vice versa, those are kind of the connections you want, right? You want to be able to know – that the character that you read is the character that you're seeing, or vice versa, and the seamlessness between those connections between the novella and the film are just so clear and precise. Um, yeah. Now, I I, I, ha- I want to throw a gauntlet out there, and 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 I'm not saying, and this is not a knock, but an observation um, based on the themes that we've discussed and and the idea of Andy being just like legendary or mythic figure and stuff like that. Isn't it interesting that Andy and Tim Robbins' performance being so great on a character that does not grow? Andy is the same person going in as he is the same person going out. He is like a... He's literally like a thing, right? It doesn't change. And he's... He's unfaith, not unfazed, but like even though he is dealt through the gauntlet of everything that happens to him in Shawshank, he doesn't lose who he is. Like he's something that's completely formed. Like he is a rock that's already been polished and made into what it is, right? Um, and Red is the only character that changes and grows and, and, ma- and manifests into something different. The one that has a clear start and finish line, right? And it's like when the, unstop, when the unstoppable force meets the, unmo- the unstoppable logic, you know, the whole, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I love how that's what makes these characters work so well. Because you have Red's character having so much drastic character development throughout. And Andy just being this thing. <laughs> um... I don't know. I think if it was Robert De Niro, they just wouldn't. It's not that they wouldn't bring it, but they just don't have.
2: It's a completely different energy.
0: <laughs> yeah, they have a completely different energy. Yeah, um, and, and and I don't and I don't and I mean this as an observation. Like how I love the fact that they were able to, they that, that they had the eyes to pick the right actors at the end of the day, because I think if I am not mistaken, um. In the book, Red is you can read Red and he's Irish. Like he's an actual white man with red hair. And and which I think it's funny because they still do the Irish joke with Morgan Freeman just to remain faithful to the book. But talk about the actor just picking the red actor because he has the talent to do what's necessary. And I always give kudos to which is why we can anybody can be Mr. Fantastic. Right. So, doesn't have to be (laughs) a white man. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic.
2: Yep. But, but going back to like that idea, right? I'm glad you mentioned that character of Reed Richards in this Shawshank podcast. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) think think about it, right? Chris Evans and John Krasinski both auditioned to be Steve Rogers. I cannot imagine John Krasinski as Captain America great actor i think he's a great person i just don't think he would have fit that role particularly well and so it's the same thing here where it's like sometimes as good as an actor might be for the story to reach its fullest potential you've got to go in a different direction and i'm glad they went with the direction they went with because clint eastwood and duvall fantastic some of the greatest of all time wouldn't have i don't think they would have hit the same it still would have been a good movie it just wouldn't have hit the same as what we ended up getting
3: if krasinski had taken the captain america role then we wouldn't have gotten the quiet place movies and so i say we uh we dodged a bullet there agreed i see this as an absolute
2: win
0: (laughs) a hundred percent and even though multiverse of madness is kind of a mess I dig the cameo. I'm good with it. <laughs> the, the cameo did his job. Um, so, going back to Cha Chang, um, the idea of choices, the idea of freedom, and the idea of bad men, period. Because Red could have chosen to be a horrible person That that Dealt violence, but after that experience with murder and then doing what he's doing, he decided just to live his life and accept. it, Right? You have Andy, Andy. That kind of like, which by the way, I'm gonna go into favorite quotes quotes later, but I want to say mine now just for proof of point. My favorite quote of the film is when Andy goes and to think, out outside, I was as straight as an arrow. It took me coming to prison to become a crook.
3: Another uh, favorite scene of mine when they're in the library and Andy's and he's explaining like his whole uh, his whole Randall Stevens scheme yep. to 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 Red and Red is looking like are you like he's got more of more of an expression of are you for real right now and and he, as as they're stacking books yep. and when he drops that line I was like oh yeah that's a great deal of irony yep. right there he had been no, prison. Pretty- the prison to and become the, a criminal.
0: Yeah, so great. So great. And to think that by then we still don't know that Andy's actually innocent. So exactly. that line just lands. And we're laughing with Red. You know, like it, it's just great. We're just going along for a ride. Um and then we have the warden.
3: Oh man. You know, shout out, shout out to Bob Gunton, he's a great actor, and he's especially in like Daredevil when he was Leland Owlsley in season one, I thought that was a great choice. Shout out to Bob Gunton, he's a great actor, I absolutely despise this warden, like, especially as a Catholic, he waves that Bible around like it's like, 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 attached to his hand, when in reality, he's like the biggest sinner that I've ever seen, so... In that respect, he more than did his job. So Bob Gunton, like, up for me, did his job effectively. I could not stand this person.
0: Yes. And, and do we like the exploration of extremes? Because it's like, you kind of feel especially with not only the way that character's written, but also with Mr. Gumpton's performance, right? He's like pushing the barriers on. Holy crap, this is dark. Like this is bad. Like what he does with Tommy Williams Protect, the whole thing with the pie, the whole thing about um keeping Andy in Solitary two months straight just to make a point. Um there's just and, and, and I like how I like how it starts small Right, and how it continues to escalate. Because you gotta think with everything he does, he's crossing on line, right? He crosses lines little by little and goes further and further and further. Um, and, and it take and it gives you the idea that the only difference between him and the crooks in the prison is that he hasn't gotten caught. That is the only difference.
3: We see in the second half of the movie that, that by the 50s, he basically uses the prisoners for his own racketeering schemes. Like, just, like using them out as slave labor and just creating all these very illegal deals, but he is somehow able to get away with it, largely due to Andy and the fact that Andy is an accounting genius. And actually, this is something I noticed upon this rewatch. Probably the most literal example of this character behind that little like stitching thing. I don't know if you yeah. know what I'm talking about, the framed yeah. thing where he where he where Andy looks at and it.
0: Right soon.
3: And 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 the warden's like, my wife sewed that in her sewing circle. And so and it is like, oh, okay, that's cool and all. But then behind that religious saying in knit is safe. That isn't a more literal, like a literal example of this warden i don't know what is using a religious phrase to cover the fact that he is just a greedy sob
0: yep yep what great imagery there's so much great imagery in this movie um i would even say there's there's a there's a there's a storytelling nuance in this film that i think we rarely see in film nowadays like there's a lot of visuals there's a lot of deliberate visual storytelling does that make sense like and, and and but i feel that over the years we've kind of lost a lot of that right like a lot of it is either exposition or action or maybe i just watched too much too many movies. but like i feel like this movie is Not only it's a period piece on purpose because it is treated as a period piece, but I like how it has that timeless factor where we can put it in at any time and it just takes us on this journey. And there's there's just storytelling on every single little thing, every single shot. Um, You can literally take probably any scene of this film and it's it's telling you something if you're paying attention. And I'm glad Ryan that you caught that that whole thing. And I love how that actually is turned on his head with Andy when he finds the bible at the end
3: i was that was a very nice thing and it's that seed is planted when Andy's cell gets raided and, right. and he's and he's reading it and go back and forth about bible verses it, it 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 was upon this viewing where i was like that bible definitely comes into play later and sure enough it does so it's it's that whole thing of Plant and payoff. It's simple, yep. but it works.
0: And it's and it's perfect too because, um, it also tells you how it kind of, I kind of feel how how Barry Sherlock Holmes kind of or how Ocean's Eleven. What, what's the first thing? The guy, the guy's name's Ocean. You guys know what I mean. <laughs> how very trickster like of Andy, because you got to think about it. The only reason they didn't open that Bible. It's because he was reading it, so like he knew how to not direct, how to avoid. Like he spent his life avoiding attention, and that's just who he is. So he knows how to trick people. And I don't know the way they deliver the lines, especially knowing what happens when he goes. Like, oh, I do not want uh, Bob Gupton's character, Sam Norton, goes. I do not want to deprive you of this because salvation lies within, and then. Just the delivery of the line at the end, where he just opens it and it, and reads it, and it just takes. I don't. know. There's a lot of good scenes, a lot of, a lot of visual storytelling. Did I say that I love this movie?
2: Yeah. So so one of my favorite quotes is easily <laughs> Andy Dufresne, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. And like, it it goes back to what Ryan was saying, right? It it's one of the most Cathartic moments in the movie, but it's also just a a metaphor. It's again that mythological being of, yeah, you're going to go through some crap, but you just got to keep fighting and keep digging and keep powering through and you're going to come out of it. And it's just a powerful moment and one of the most powerful shots in all of cinema. As he looks up to the heavens and you see the rain just pouring down on him, washing all the crap away.
3: It's amazing underrated moment is when when he crawls through the hole and is on the pipe and he's got the rock and he's like waiting to try and time like when he smashes with the with the thunder he's like yeah. thunder smash and then thunder smash and on the third time he gets it and just literal human crap just sprays up into his face just like you gotta get in it now you're almost there
0: and to think it's five hundred yards. Once he gets in, especially the way that how thin that pipe is. I mean, you can't just backtrack, like.
3: Oh, it's way out. In the words of the Almond yeah. Brothers. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah. What a, what a what a what an interesting picture. The idea of his freedom lies after going through all the darkness. You know, like it's a whole light end of the tunnel kind of thing. Um, especially now, the whole like the way you were talking about it, Mike, make me think it's also kind of like a Greek tragedy thing. Yeah, you know what I mean, like it feels like the whole like I don't know. There's there's Hercules is here somewhere. Like <laughs> like it feels that epic and and that. Um, it's
3: like Ben Hur in a sense, kind of.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
3: was gonna say Clash of the Titans. I think that applies sort of. Yeah.
0: Now, my what I love also about that scene is how it speaks about the power of the human spirit. Yes. And, and and the idea that the world can be going to literal shit, but if you allow it to, but it will only end you if you allow it to. Like you would only drown in the shit if you don't swim out, <laughs> which is literally what. Like that's the image, right? There is there is a path, there is a way for you to come out but it has to be on you. It's on you. Where's that? Um, I'm thinking about this. There's this film. I can't. I, I oh. Um, Iron Man says this. Yes. So, in the Avengers... Oh my goodness. When he's, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's that, that scene when he's talking to Loki on Stark Tower. In the bar, right? Oh, yes. When, when he says, if you do this, if you go towards... It's all on you. Like, literally telling Loki, like, okay, you can try and conquer this. But the Avengers are going to come to get you. And maybe there's a throne, but whatever happens, it's all on you. And the idea that that's, that's the imagery, right? Like, Dufresne is just, he spent two months in solitary, he's back doing this laundry business, and he's spent years digging this hole. What is he going to do? Part of me kind of thinks, when you look at the timeline, am I the only one that thinks that he stayed behind because of Tommy. Makes
3: a lot of sense. I mean, I I think that he yeah, like a liking to Tommy and trying to trying to help him.
0: Yeah, uh, and then finding out what he found out, right? Like, like maybe he thought maybe I don't have to go this route. Maybe I don't have to swim through the river shit. Because when turn, you think about it, it, yeah, it was hard. I mean, he had a bar of soap. He had a bar of soap in there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, because right at the moment that he finds this out, he's get thrown into solitary for two months. Tommy dies, and right after it is where we have third act, right? So, how interesting of a man, how practical of a man, where when everything closes, that's when he goes the drastic route, because that's the only route to take.
3: And it's interesting the going back to the Avengers reference just for a beat. One of my favorite lines in that whole movie is when Tony Stark tells Loki, "There is no scenario in which you win." And it's like, oh that—that's powerful stuff." And I mean, when when Dufresne says, "Get busy living or get busy dying," that's basically his. There yeah. is no scenario in which the warden wins. I'm neither going to you're going to get out or i'm going to die trying that, that just...
2: is andy go ahead no you know that that's just a, an amazing parallel that you guys found there i just want to give appreciation to how great of a line that is that entire scene with tony stark and loki <laughs> it's like even so the, good. even the end even if we can't protect the world you know darn sure we're going to avenge it it's like bro chills i know isaac's rolling his eyes but chills Anyway, back to Sausage.
0: <laughs> All the budget went in to Tony Stark yes, saying that line. Shut up. <laughs> Dang. That being said, Bro. I love how we were able to 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 decipher that that line of get busy living or get busy dying. That's Andy Dufresne's "whatever it takes." <laughs>
2: There are way to too many Marvel episodes. Too many Marvel references in the Shawshank episode, but you know what are you gonna do? <laughs> I was anyway. reliably
3: informed by Martin Scorsese that they were theme park rides instead of movies. <laughs> 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 that is awesome.
0: Oh, what a
3: great film, guys.
1: Yes.
0: Um, it's 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 it is now I'm gonna try and do math and be horrible at it. It's twenty eight years old. Yep. I mean it's almost what, a, and it's still captivating every time I watch it. Uh, has some uh, the music is great. It's it's very it's very um, I don't want to use the word quaint, but what a what what great music in the background because it's not epic, it's not anything, but Thomas Newman did a great job with the sound with the soundtrack and everything.
2: It's a tonally appropriate score, I'd say. It, it's it fits the movie perfectly. It's not the the grandest, but it did its job.
0: It's funny because it's it's the music is befitting to the characters that we follow. Yeah, it, I think I think it's great. Uh, I don't know, the movie's beautiful. I love it. I think we all do. Um, before we say goodbye, any final thoughts? on Shawshank Redemption.
3: The phrase, they don't make him like they used to, gets thrown around willy-nilly, and I tend to roll my eyes at it sometimes. In the case of Shawshank, they don't make him like they used to anymore. I would... It's in the top five, maybe top three Stephen King adaptations of all time, and there have been some really solid Stephen King adaptations out there. Shining Doctor Sleep immediately come to my head. And several other secret window, but this is this is the one, the most well made, the the most verable. It's one of the best movies of the '90s. It, it it was a combination of the perfect cast, the perfect score, the perfect director, writer, and the perfect source material, just coming together into one time capsule and that i hate using the phrase they don't make them like they used to anymore but especially in terms of like movies stephen king adaptations or just dramas in general make them like they used to
0: you're
3: on the money
2: but... Facts. The money. <laughs> there, there's not much i can add to that honestly um i'm with i do. I'm I'm with Ryan that like this is an incredible film. Um, this is a rare breed. Like you even look at the Green Mile that came out a few years after this, right? It's like that that era, the '90s, man. The '80s and '90s are incredible <laughs> as far as film goes, and they it'll probably never
3: be topped, honestly. Only 1994. I mean, you look up and down the list, just rattling off like Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, this. No, and there are many others that I'm forgetting, but you just look down the row, and it's like B. it's peak, exactly. Exactly that.
1: So good. Yeah. So, so
0: good. Um, Isaac, final thoughts?
1: Like I said in the beginning, yeah. unlike Godfather, I can understand why this isn't a conversation of one of the best movies of all time. Nice.
2: Oh uh, man.
1: <laughs> Do you guys
0: know what other phenomenal adaptation Frank Darabond
1: is part of? Didn't he make Green Mime? Oh, he
0: did yes.
3: season one of The Walking Dead, which I haven't seen all of The Walking Dead, but I've seen a few episodes of season one, and those were really good.
0: He's actually one of the more involved developers for the first couple of years. And season three takes place in a prison um of he course. Likes prisons of course right of course <laughs> um guys we have shattered about that sounds so bad we have talked <laughs> we have talked about the Shawshank redemption its themes its characters the writing the adaptation uh, it is just phenomenal one of the best films ever made always will always is and always will be um and it's, and it's one of the best things about art. Art is timeless. Um, we're going to have one day. We're going to be third, 20 years in, 30 years in, and going back to see this film. And we're still going to get captured by all, all the beautiful scenes, the music, the lines, and just the characters. Um, Ryan, thank you for joining us. It was awesome having you here and hearing your thoughts about shawshank redemption you got a channel tell us all about it drop it
3: first of all i loved being part of this uh, i'd love to be back on uh i mean not exact not begging or anything just throwing that be out into the universe you'll but be back like don't it. worry
2: about it <laughs>
3: the test yeah <laughs> I, I really did enjoy my time here. Thank you. I do have a channel. It's called Ryan Cam. I, I cover a lot of stuff. On Mondays, I cover the OG Twilight Zone series. I'm just about to wrap up season two. It's been a lot Anyways. of fun covering that whole show. On Wednesdays, I have a podcast, Life in the Movies, where I co-host with my friend Jacob Martin, who has a channel of his own. I don't know when this is going to air, but the next episode is going to be our August preview. We're going to be talking about all of the movies releasing in August on theaters, streaming, and whatnot, and we'll also be talking a bit about the Marvel lineup that comic that Marvel announced at Comic Con. But we won't be touching on it too deeply because our our previews are always like pretty long episodes, so we always. On certain relevant things and then go straight into the preview so that's on deck. I'll be seeing League of the Super Pets so I'll be reviewing that and then this coming Sunday I'll be dropping my first reaction to Alex Proyas's The Crow. Uh, I have a list of first-time watches that I want to get out of the way before I dive into my Scary Mania series in October where I review 31 horror movies in 31 days. It gets pretty involved in the month of October. So just some bucket list movies out of the way. So while I still have some time, if you all haven't checked me out, Ooh. links in the description.
0: Awesome. Isaac, where can people find you?
1: My sleepy friend. Well, you can find my work at Robin Entertainment. You can find me over at Semblemania on Twitter. And you can find it. A... Anime and Manga Pod, me, and Mike and uh, Brandon are doing over at the Amateur Otaku Pod at Twitter and we are at at UTEP, Amateur Otaku, and uh, also on every podcast site besides Podbean for some reason and, well, did I miss anything?
2: I think you're good, man. I don't
1: think so. (laughs) Mr. Thomas.
2: Yes, sir. Well, if you guys are watching the YouTube channel... This is the first time I'm not on screen <laughs> for the episode of the of the podcast. It's the first time I'm not on my own YouTube channel. That's weird. Anyway, youtube.com slash NoviceCinephile. You can find all my work there. Also on Twitter at NoviceCinephile. Also at Collider.com. I'm writing over there constantly as well as Geeks Vibes Nation. And yeah, find us at the Amateur Otaku and of course check out the chatter after wherever you get your podcast. It's a great time. Love it.
0: And you can find me at the Scarlet Fan 52 on Twitter, at the Scarlet Fan 52 on Instagram, and somehow I'm on TikTok. I have no idea what I'm doing there. But you can find me here at the Shadow After on the naval side, part of the Novice Network, and you can find me also at the Amateur Talk Podcast where I talk awesome anime with these awesome folks. If you love what you're listening here at the Shadow Raptor, Make sure you click our follow button. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on the Nova Cinephile Network. We have plenty of movies that we have yet to cover, um, and shows that we get to cover. Check out our outrageous episode on The Boys. Um, we do a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of good stuff though. So, the shadow rises. Keep it up. Keep watching movies. Stay awesome, guys. Peace.
2: Peace.